0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And today we're going to be jumping in Genesis chapter 21, Genesis chapter 21 verses 22 through 34. Because we're going to be starting in verse 22, we should consider then what we have already looked at. What did we look at last week or what came immediately before that? Ishmael and Isaac being born? Good job. Ishmael and Isaac. Okay, so we had the birth of Isaac. That was the first seven verses, eight verses of the, of the chapter. And then after that, what happened? Banishment. 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 Oh, who was banished? Ishmael. And Ishmael, good. And Hagar, good. Ishmael, the firstborn son of Abraham, actually. And Hagar, the uh, the bondwoman. And we looked at that study last week. So we had the banishment of Hagar and the uh, banishment of Ishmael. How old was Ishmael? Isaac at that time, we it doesn't tell us for sure. But you'll remember that we looked at uh, some traditions and we came up with kind of a range. Anybody remember what kind of that range that was? 13, 15, I think that was- Ishmael was thirteen years old when Isaac was born, and then last week's study. You will remember that it was it had to do with Isaac being weaned and the feast that mm-hmm. uh, was uh, brought by dad uh, at, to celebrate or memorialize that occasion. Mm-hmm. And the weaning took place at about how old? Would a oh, child? Older than us. Older than than us. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, About two or three years old. Good. So just to get in your mind then, we're looking at Mm -hmm. Isaac about two or three years old. With that in mind then, somebody mind reading the first half of verse 22. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Thickel, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Excellent. Thank you, Levit. All right. Very good. So... Anybody recognize those names mentioned in that verse? Or at least one of them? Abimelech. Abimelech, right. This is a name we've seen before. And you're probably remembering, or you're probably thinking to yourself, uh uh-oh, he's going to ask us now (laughs) who that was and what the context of that story was. All right, so turn back. I'm going to make it easy on everybody. Turn back to chapter 20 and look over there. That's where we were introduced to this Abimelech character. And to give you a little bit of a, uh, a refresher on that story back there, this was the story. This is the second time that Abraham said to Sarah, please do me this favor. Pretend you're my sister. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They go to where Abimelech lives. Abimelech's in charge of the land. And Abimelech says, hmm, I like what I see. And is she your sister or your wife? Uh, sister. All right. And ask her, hey, are you his sister or are you his wife? Sister. All right. And so Abimelech says, very good. Thank you. I'll take from me. And uh, here, I'll throw you some parting gifts. And then you remember as the story progressed over there, that God appeared to Abimelech. And God said, you're a dead man. <laughs> because the woman you took, she's somebody's wife. And he's like, whoa, what? I-, I didn't know anything about this, right? And then he wakes up the next morning and he tells his, his closest associates, here's the dream I had last night. I was appeared to by God and here's what he told me. And, and they all, they're all they all terrified. Right? And so then they call Abraham in and they rebuke him. They say, you shouldn't have done this. Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell me? Why did you say she's my sister? And he had this half-hearted answer that went along with that. So you remember how it ends. Basically, Abimelech said, okay, look, here, I'm going to give you a bunch of gifts to vindicate Sarah in the eyes of all the people so that they'll know that there's been no you know, hanky-panky between me and her all right and choose for yourself where you want to live he tells abraham choose for yourself where you want to live and go and live in that place you know the land is before you basically okay so that was kind of the weird story with abraham sarah and abimelech over in chapter 20. well here we are in chapter 21 verse 22 and abimelech shows up again all right the same character seems to show up again now i will say this when i say the same character i I do need to bring something to your attention there is another story that happens several chapters later where Abimelech shows up again. And in that story, you have also got this Pickle, Pickle, Pickle guy. All right, he shows up as well. That story takes place 60 years after this story. Six-zero. Six, Six-zero. Long time. So there is the proposal that maybe Abimelech and maybe Pickle are titles rather than actual names okay so when i say this is probably the same guy as the previous story likely could be because we're only looking at maybe four maybe five maybe six years we don't know some time has passed a minimum of isaac's age because sarah didn't have isaac back then sarah wasn't even pregnant with isaac back then and now she's had a son right and we know based on the tradition of when you would wean a son, probably two or three, add into that the nine months of pregnancy, you're probably looking at three or four, minimum three or four years since they've been with Abimelech, all right? So it's a lot easier to think that this Abimelech is probably the same Abimelech we saw earlier than to think that the guy 60 years from now might be the same guy. You understand what I'm saying there? All right, so just understand it might be a title, and you and I are are familiar with titles. We walk up and down these halls and we say, hey, good morning, judge. You might say, your honor. So it's not uncommon for us even in our day and age to sometimes use a title and it's clear in the context that that's who's being talked about so it may be that the writer of Genesis in using Abimelech could be fully assured that his audience knows what he's talking about when he might be using a title instead of an actual name all right so I'm just throwing that out there so anyway it's probably the same guy that you saw in chapter 20 Abimelech and this introduction of a new character Pikel or fikel or fickle something like that all right we're we're obviously we're wrestling with English which is a translation or a transliteration of the Hebrew in the Hebrew it's a P sound and not a p H sound, which is kind of strange. Why do we have a ph then here in our English translations? I'm not sure, but anyway, we have this new character. What does it say about this new character in verse 22? He's the commander of the army. He's the commander of the army. He's the commander of the army over which is Abimelech. Mm-hmm. Abimelech's in charge, basically, of the land. All right, picture him as the king or the president, and he's brought with him the commander of the army. That's interesting. Why did he bring the commander of the army with him? Hmm. Let's consider that in our minds as we move forward. He brings with him the commander of the army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you. God is with you in all that you do. The word for God that he uses here is Elohim. If you don't remember clearly who Elohim is, let me give you a couple verses that have Elohim in them. All right. Uh, How about uh, Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. There's Elohim. All right. Uh, The spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters And Elohim said, let there be light And Elohim saw that the light was good Elohim is the name that's used in Hebrew It's the name that's used for God From the very first verse of the book It's creator God The creator of the heavens and the earth That's Elohim And this guy, Abimelech Comes to Abraham and uses that name And says there, right there God is with you in all that you do now, you remember probably from that story in Genesis chapter 20, Abimelech, in being appeared to by God, he believed that really happened, right? He was convinced. And you'll remember even as the story goes, it was kind of impressive how God impressed himself upon this king, a guy that's not a main character in the story, of a guy that's not even in the lineage of God's big plan and what God plans to do, that he was able to impress himself, if you will, On an unbeliever, right? The guy's an outsider in the story, and he's met the true God. (laughs) The true God has revealed himself to him, and he's come away convinced, I met the true God, right? So here, it looks like it's still consistent with him. Understanding of who God is, creator of the heavens and the earth. God is with you in all that you do. So apparently, Abraham has some sort of reputation living in his land, in Abimelech's outskirts of his land. Apparently Abraham has some sort of reputation that maybe reports have been brought to Abimelech that this guy that you had dealings with over in chapter twenty we can tell you he's living out there now he's living in the outskirts of your land over there oh and we can tell you it seems like God's blessing him it seems like he maybe his flocks are growing maybe his crowd is growing maybe his community's growing all right so something uh, some reports are getting back to him presumably that lead Abimelech to make this statement. And perhaps it's partially a uh, political greeting and partially actually true. And we'll find as we go that it sounds like there's actually concern about maybe Abraham getting too big, getting too large. And that's prompting why Abimelech's come to him. How about uh, verse 23? Somebody mind reading verse 23? Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me... And to the country where you are living as an alien, the same kindness I have shown to you. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. So here we have Abimelech, and he's saying, Swear to me. All right. In Hebrew, it's the word Sabah. All right. So swear to me. And what is he saying, Swear to me? That you won't deceive, you. That you won't deceive me. <laughs> okay. Why would he say that? Why would he start that way? <laughs> because of the Because he, he did, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> He's remembering Genesis chapter 20, mm-hmm. right? Abimelech's like, swear to me. by I know God's really blessed you. All right, so swear to me by your God and the God that I understand that met with me that night. Swear to me by that person, by that character, by that divine being that, A, you won't deal falsely with me. You won't deceive me. You won't trick me. All right? You won't betray me. You won't lie to me. Again. Again. <laughs> exactly right. He's remembering what happened last time. So he's appealing to Abraham, look, with God as our witness, I want to start this off, with God as our witness, that you and I get on a footing of honesty here, all right? Not like last time, you know? That last time didn't turn out so well, (laughs) all right? So he's saying that you will not deal falsely with me, you will not deceive me, betray me, or lie to me, and not just me, right? Who else is involved in this statement? He's asking for this kind of favor to be shown to whom? His descendants. His descendants, right. And he uses two different words. He uses a word for nearest descendants and distant descendants. All right? So he's using a word for offspring, or which would be, in a strict sense, a son would be that word there. And then the next word he uses could stand for nephew, all right, a little more distant. He's saying, basically, I want you, in front of God, to take an oath. And I don't want you to be dishonest with me. I don't want you to lie. God is our witness between me between my close relatives and my distant relatives. And what is he asking for? What does he say? Kindness, right? But that according to the kindness that I have done to you, right? So now he's appealing to, remember what happened over in Genesis chapter 20? I treated you well, all right? Okay, God told me I needed to, but I treated you well, and I want you to remember how I treated you well, because that's what I'm asking for of you, right? He's asking for a reciprocal treatment to Abimelech, to his closest relatives, to his more distant relatives, and then there's one other aspect in there. It's not just people. What else? Country. And to the country and to the land that that you're dwelling in, that you're sojourning in, that you're just passing through, right? Because Abraham isn't a resident there in the sense that he has, like, voting rights, all right? He doesn't have claim to the land. He's kind of a squatter. He's living in the land with permission. He's living in the land. But uh, he's not of the land, right? He's living in the world, but not of the world. Does that sound somewhat familiar? Mm -hmm. We're going through the same thing here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're living in this world, but really our, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through, and we've talked about that before. All right, so he's asking for God to be a witness, and he's asking for Abraham to take an oath, that Abraham will be kind to Abimelech, as Abimelech was kind to Abraham. The word that's being used there for kindness is... chesed and this becomes a word that develops as the the Old Testament, as we read through our Old Testament we find this word becomes a big deal chesed is a word that has to do with devotion, kindness steadfast love loyalty, faithfulness in fact turn to Psalm chapter 100 verse 5 would somebody mind reading that one the Lord is good His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Excellent. Thank you. Somebody else might want to read a different version. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Good. Any other translations? For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. The key word in that verse is chesed, it becomes a word that describes God's eternal loving kindness. Towards us. Alright. It becomes a word that describes God's character. God is chesed. Alright? So God is this word, and he then, because he's expressing it to us, would hope that we, New Testament application now, he would hope that we would carry it on and express it to others. Okay? So it becomes a word that becomes a big deal. It becomes a description of God's character. Going back then to Genesis. Genesis chapter 21, verse 23. Let's look at a little bit more of that verse that we have there. When Abimelech is appealing to Abraham and saying, with God as our witness, I want you to do this thing, right? That implies a, a few things. Number one, it implies that Abimelech understands who God is and that Abraham understands who God is, and they're calling that to be a witnessing factor in the situation. Uh, Let me use a different illustration, something more from everyday life that we did. We have a a trial going on right now in our courtroom. And this morning we had a guy come in, the next witness to take the stand, and he comes in and I, in, in my role, I tell him, please step forward through the swinging doors, stand there at the end of the table, please raise your right hand, face the clerk to be sworn in. He does that whole thing and the clerk reads off the oath that that person raising their right hand Is going to attest to and say yes or no and you're familiar with the oath and it's most simple form it's basically do you promise to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god and he's standing there with his right hand up he doesn't know why his right hand is up and he's been read that oath and he doesn't know what that oath means and in fact he says out loud what am i supposed to say (laughs) how am i supposed to answer and the judge said say yes or no and he goes uh yes i guess (laughs) and then he goes it takes a stand that has no strength or power over him because he doesn't have a relationship with God or a realization of who God is. Yeah. So when you're taking an oath, swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, if you don't believe in God, it's got nothing on you. In this life, you may not realize until after you've passed through this life that God does witness that kind of stuff. <laughs> and God does take it seriously. But in this life, if you don't believe in God, you can take an oath like that and it means nothing. And, like we saw happen, they get on the stand, they lie. <laughs> really? What are you doing? <laughs> if they had a true understanding and appreciation of who God is and what God's character is, you don't lie. You wouldn't take that oath and lie. Right? That's what's going on here with this situation with Abimelech and Abraham. Abimelech is appealing to Abraham's understanding of who God is, and Abimelech is stepping up to the table with a similar understanding. And in doing so, Abimelech is appealing to Abraham, before God is our witness, and we both believe in God in that situation, in that context, it looks like they both believe in God, all right? He's saying, before the God that appeared to me, and before the God that you know, I want you to take an oath, with God as our witness, all right? It only has bearing, it only has strength or power over a person in the oath-making process if they believe in God. If they don't, you can say anything you want. Who's going to know, right? You're just going to, yeah, sure, whatever, and then do whatever you want. But in this situation, Abimelech, he's under the impression that Abraham has this relationship with God, rightfully so, and that he himself has a relationship with God. Uh, At least to the point where they can have a basic understanding when they come forward to make this oath. Right? Everybody get what I'm trying to say? All right. Victor P. Hamilton ends up saying, regarding the use of Elohim in this passage, he says, In light of the presence of Elohim in his life, Abraham's behavior should be predictable and above reproach. People with whom God dwells should not engage in false, devious practices or conduct. Nonetheless... Abimelech requests Abraham to bind himself by oath to a covenant relating to Abimelech's own person and that of his posterity, primarily because he does not trust Abraham. So even though he knows the same God that Abraham knows, he also knows Abraham as somebody he can't trust. He's somebody he can't trust, and that's the reason for the visit and asking for the oath. And then John Hartley says, an oath has meaning in direct proportion to how firmly people believe in God. For God has the oversight to enforce the oath justly, Since these parties believed in the God who had spoken to each of them, this oath had the highest possible meaning. All right. Moving on to the next verse. Somebody mind reading verse 24. And Abraham said, I will swear. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Nice short verse right there. (laughs) In English, we have, I will swear. We have three words. Some of your English translations might have two words, I swear. All right. In Hebrew, it's two words. Abraham's response is two words to Abimelech's. 21 word request. All right, so Abimelech had a 21 word request in the Hebrew, and then uh, Abraham's response is two words, nice and short. I will swear. Uh, here we also end up seeing this word swear again. This is the second time that Saba shows up. All right, so I've got that written on the board of there for swear. Verse 25, somebody mind reading that. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Excellent. Thank you, Monica. So you can imagine the situation now by reading this verse. Abraham's got a lot of flocks. You'll remember a long time ago, he and his nephew, Lot, had to split up because there wasn't enough provisions in the land to sustain the great herds and flocks that Abraham had and the great herds and flocks that Lot had. So you remember at that time, Abraham said to Lot, Hey, the land is before you, choose wherever you want. You go left, I'll go right. You go north, you, I'll go south. You, you know, And basically let Lot choose, and Lot chose the well-watered, fertile plain uh, down where Sodom and Gomorrah was. So that was Lot's choice, and Abraham and Lot then were able to split up, and the land could better sustain each of those large parties separate from one another. Here we have in this situation, you can imagine, well, water is important. You need the water for your flocks. It's an arid place. And it seems that Abimelech's servants probably in charge of flocks for the king they need water too hey that guy over there he dug a well we don't have to do the hard work if we just take the well from them and they come to the well and decide hey we got priority here we live in the land you're just a visitor right so that's probably the situation that's being dealt with so abimelech brings to the table he says hey i want you to make a deal with me all right abraham agrees to the deal but he tacks on a little rider on the end of it right and says oh, by the way since you're here I got an issue. Your guys are taking my water. I dug that well. I dug that well for my flocks. We need the water, and your guys are just helping themselves and basically saying I'm second class, second rate. I get second place in line. All right? And so what does Abimelech say in verse 26? Somebody my reading that? Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Excellent. Thank you. So what do we have here? We have a situation where Abimelech, is, he's saying to Abraham, you didn't tell me. Why didn't you tell me about this? does that sound familiar has that ever happened before when have we seen that before especially between these two guys yeah exactly the situation with the wife right so now it's again right just like ron said earlier again (laughs) but anyway he tells him now and abimelech says you should have told me earlier by the way if you remember the story with abraham and sarah when they went to egypt in front of pharaoh it was the same kind of thing down there pharaoh says hey why didn't you tell me Right. So Abraham's got this thing where he's not into full disclosure. All right. (laughs) So here we have this situation. It's a it's a third time now. It's again that Abraham could have told something that would have probably helped things along. But he chose not to. And here uh, Abimelech's calling him on the carpet again about it. How about uh, verse 27? Somebody mind reading that one. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a covenant. Excellent. Thank you, Ron sheep and oxen the word for sheep there is broad enough to include sheep or goats all right oxen is broad enough to include cattle of various sorts all right so here abraham takes sheep and oxen we don't know how many but those are in the plural all right so it's more than two of each all right it's at least two of each and then we have also what and gave them to abimelech and the two of them made a covenant what do you remember about a covenant the word made here when you look at it here in this verse and uh, later on in another verse that we're going to run across in this passage it's it's actually in hebrew it's a word that's translated as cut right do you remember the idea of cutting a covenant if you remember (laughs) jennifer's got that oh yeah she remembers (laughs) got that visual right basically he's not giving him animals to go take home and putting in his petting zoo all right what's going to happen to these animals most likely they're going to be cut All right. These are animals given in sacrifice. When you would make a treaty or covenant with somebody, it was traditional that you would take these animals and you would kill them right there on the spot. And it was a way to serve as a strong reminder to everybody involved. If you or I break this covenant, may what happened to those animals happen to us. All right. That was the idea. So it carried with you a visual, as Jennifer said, that's going to stay with you. That you're going to, you know, when you're tempted to maybe violate the covenant, you might remember those dead animals and think, I don't want to become like that. And you, you know, (laughs) choose to not violate the covenant. By the way, this word here for covenant, we've seen that before. This is actually the first time, though, that this word appears that is describing an agreement between humans. So far, what we've seen is between God and man. But here the same word, Abimelech is appealing to him. And here we have the same transaction. We have an agreement. We have a covenant between people. So it's a covenant between people here. Regarding the animals, they're probably going to be slain to uh, kind of like ratify this treaty or ratify this covenant here. And this is what would be called a parity treaty, which is between two people. And you could think of a business contract. All right, that's probably a better way to understand it. And then verse 28, somebody might read in that one. Abraham took seven additional yu and set them off by themselves. Excellent, thank you. You're like, wait, I should read the next one. I want to stop you for just a moment there. Here we have the word seven, right? Mm-hmm. So in English, we have swear, that's sabah. In English, we have seven, and it's seba, all right, in Hebrew. And you're probably wondering, why is he doing this? It'll make sense in a few minutes, all right? So seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. What's going on here? Well, read verse 29. Somebody might reading that one. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So what did we have earlier? In verse 27, we had sheep and oxen. All right. And now we've got a different group of animals. We've got a different group of animals, seven ewe lambs. So we've got two sets of animals. One set's probably been sacrificed to ratify the covenant. That's expected. That's not surprising. Abimelech is surprised by these seven that aren't set aside for sacrifice. He doesn't know what's going on with these seven, because that's not part of a covenant or ceremony. That's not part of what he expected to happen. So he ends up asking, hey, what's the deal with these seven over here? That's what you see in verse 29. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven, you lambs, which you have set by themselves? Verse 30 and he said, this is Abraham, and he said, you will take these seven new lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. So basically Abraham is saying, I'm giving you these seven and if you receive them from me, I will know then that you believe my story when I say I dug this well, right? So he's saying, take them from me, but when understand that when you do take them, I get the satisfaction of knowing that you believe that I actually am the one that dug that well that what I'm telling you is true. Okay, so that's what's going on. And he's making a play on words here. So you can see the swear and the seven, those words sound very similar. And so that's what Abraham is doing. He is bringing forth a visual reminder of this agreement that they're making on this day. all right. So not only do you have a concept, which is the agreement, hey, swear to me, okay, I swear. That's intangible, you can't touch that, you can't take it with you, you can't look at it, you can't take a picture of it. It's an intangible agreement, right? And Abraham is adding to it, with a play on words type of thing, something that is tangible. These sheep, these seven ewe lambs. So you've got a tangible and an intangible reminder of, of one and the same thing. Do we do that ever in our society? We do. When you think of Thanksgiving right? Thanksgiving, you've got this intangible idea of thankfulness, right? We get together for Thanksgiving, and the idea is that traditionally this holiday arose out of a thankful attitude, right? It's a, it's about being thankful. But you also have Thanksgiving in reference to the meal, right? So you, I might call up my mother-in-law, hey, what time is Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, come on over at three, we're going to eat at four, all right? We know what we're talking about, right? I'm using the same word, we're using the same word, we describe the ideal, the day, the concept. And it's also describing a meal, something tangible, something literal I can eat, right? <laughs> so in this situation, we have a similar situation as what they had back then. You've got an intangible and tangible, two different ways of reminding you of this significance of this day. All right? Would that also be similar to when we get baptized and you have an invisible or intangible oh, okay. thing and you get baptized? But the... The commitment is made before you get baptized. That's a, that's a great illustration. Exactly right. Yeah, when we get baptized, it's an outward sign of an inward commitment. Absolutely right. And it goes to serve to remind us that we made a commitment. Anytime we might see somebody get baptized, if we've been there already, we would think back to the, and hearken back to the day that we were baptized and would remind us of the commitment that me, we made. Excellent observation. Well done, LeVette. All right, verse 31. Somebody mind reading that one. So that place was called Beersheba. Because the two men swore an oath there. Excellent. Thank you, Monica. A well. All right. It's not beer, it's bear. <laughs> All right. It just spelled the same way in English. All right. So a well back in that day was, uh, or in Hebrew, it was bear. So you can see the combination of this word with the play on words with those would be beersheba. All right. So that's the name. That's the reason we get the name for the location of where this occurred. From this point forward, then, we have a marking point of where it occurred and anytime we run across beersheba again we can harken back and remember oh i remember the story about that that's where Mm -hmm. abraham and abimelech made their pact made their treaty all right Mm -hmm. and so beersheba ends up meaning the well of oath or well of seven beersheba is actually a place you can find on a map and you'll see i've got a map over here and it actually has beersheba in fact beersheba becomes a very significant mentioned place in your study of old testament scriptures all right in fact the study of the bible Here's what ends up happening beersheba ends up being identified with the southernmost border of the entire land of israel so if you're looking on a map here the land of israel is basically this green going from here down to here and on the map beersheba is right here all right it's as far down as you can get and not cut any more paper off all right it's the southern portion of the land what's at the northern a place called dan In fact, you'll find as you read through the book of Judges and then as you move further and further, you run across this phrase, from Dan to Beersheba. And basically, when you run across that, it means the whole extent of the land. From Dan to Beersheba is from the very northern border down to the very southern border. Okay, from Dan to Beersheba is a phrase you're going to run across a lot. And now we know who Beersheba is. Somebody mind reading verse 32? After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Pekol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Excellent. Good job, Bianca. Is that where your verse ends? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> the, the way that tone went, I, was, yeah, I okay. thought maybe there was a few more words there in that verse or something. <laughs> Very good, thank you. So, the land of the where? The land of the what? The land of the Philistines. The land of the Philistines. That's weird. We actually ran across the mention of Philistines over in chapter 10. All right? And we had a little bit of a discussion over there that we're going to touch on a little bit right here as well. The land of the Philistines. The Philistines, in traditional history and archaeological discoveries, the first mention of the Philistines suggests that the Philistines, as a name, is for a people much later than this. Hmm. Then I guess our Bible's wrong. (laughs) I mean... It's mentioning the Philistines earlier than archaeological discoveries would suggest. Or maybe there's another explanation. All right. I want you to take for a second your Sunday school hats off. Take for a second your Bible study hats off. And I want to put on, put on the hat of uh, American history. And I want you to think of American history more specifically uh, in context with uh, Native Americans. All right. So I want you to think of Native Americans and ask yourself, did Native Americans have a significant role In the founding of our country, the birth of our country, the development of our country. Absolutely, right? Did they play a significant role? Yes. In fact, we would recognize that there are characters from history that maybe Squanto or Sacagawea, all right? We've got Geronimo, Hiawatha, the Battle of Little Bighorn. I mean, these are familiar to us. If you understand American history, you understand, oh, I I get it. Yeah, those are significant in the founding of our country. But the phrase that I used in couching this is American Indians, I'm sorry, I didn't use that, did I? Ron caught that too. What did I use? What did I say? I used Native Americans. In describing American history, I used the phrase Native Americans. Native Americans, you guys get who I'm talking about. Anybody here unclear who I'm referring to when I say Native Americans? No, we're all clear on that. But the phrase Native Americans is relatively recent. It was only into the later 20th century that that phrase was applied to that people group. We all understand in this room, when I say Native Americans, that we're talking about a people group in a specific geographical location, North America, all right, that were here before the Europeans, all right? But in me mm-hmm. using that phrase, I'm using a phrase that's much later in time than when the events happened in those significant people lived, all right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm using a phrase that isn't appropriate for that time, but we all understand it in this group of hearers exactly who I'm talking about, all right? that's the case over here by the time that genesis is written the author is writing down and he writes the name philistines knowing that all his hearers are going to know exactly it's a people that live in a particular area and i know who he's talking about all right for his readers he was able to supply them with the current name or the current phrase or term that was used to describe a particular people in a particular geographical location they weren't known as philistines yet but it was a people of a particular geographical area, and by the time the book is written, the readers would understand who was being described. Alright, that's all that is. Alright, so they returned to the land of the Philistines. And then verse 33, somebody am I reading that one? Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Steve. Here we have in this verse Abraham is planting a tree. <laughs> Why do we care, right? Why do we care that Abraham's planting a tree? Well, the author had something in mind for us. There was some reason why he wanted to tell us that Abraham was planting a tree. One of the things that we see from this, though, is that you don't plant a tree if you think you're going to be moving soon. Mm. Right? Right. You plant a tree when you plan to stay. And in fact, the word that's used to describe or that's translated as tamarisk tree there, the word can describe a single tree. It can describe a grove of trees or even a plot of land that's cultivated for an orchard. Okay. So whatever is going on here, all of those do suggest Abraham looks like he's going to stay a while. And in fact, in verse 34, we have a confirmation of that. Somebody mind reading verse 34? Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. There we go. So we have a confirmation that, yeah, what we might have been suspecting in verse 33 seems to be coming past in verse 34. That by the time after he's had this meeting with Abimelech, right? Abimelech's kind of the guy that's in charge of the land. Abraham's living on the outskirts of the land that Abimelech would claim as his own. Abimelech, you'll remember from chapter 20 when he told Abraham, hey, move wherever you want to move. Go wherever you want to go. Stay wherever you want to stay. Abraham chose this place, all right? And now Abimelech's come out to meet with him. And now after that meeting, Abraham is planting a tree. It sounds like after their meeting, Abraham felt like, I'm not so transitory anymore, right? Before Abimelech showed up, you know what, honey? They came to grab the water again today. I don't know if we're going to be able to stay here. You know what? We might have to move somewhere else. We might have to dig another well. But after this meeting, it sounds like Abimelech's going to take action to, make, to resolve that issue. And it looks like Abraham is realizing, you know what? It looks like we can stay here a while, and he plants a tree. And he's making a commitment. He's going to end up staying there for a while. Always recognizing, though, that fundamentally, he's a sojourner. He's just visiting that area. He's not a resident of that area. But here's the interesting part. That area, Beersheba, it's in the land God promised to Abraham. But it wasn't to be realized in Abraham's lifetime. If you remember, it's to be realized in the lifetime of his descendants, right? When God made a promise to Abraham, he says, go throughout the land. Go check it out. I give you all this land. What is that like? That's like you have a father with unlimited resources. And he comes to you and he says to you, son or daughter, (laughs) I've decided I'm going to buy you the biggest, best resort, hotel, spa, vacation destination in the world. And here's the name of it. Here's the place. Here's the address. I want you to go check it out. Just check it out. But just realize even though I'm going through the process of buying it for you, it's as good as done, it won't be something that I'm giving to you as much as I'm going to give it to your kids. I'm going to will it to your descendants. All right. And so you would go and you'd visit the property and you'd go to the front desk and you go to check in and uh, you end up having a conversation with a person who's going to check you in. And then the manager, you maybe engage in the manager a little bit and the manager says to you, not knowing you're going to be the owner of the whole place, All right, that your descendants are going to own this whole place, the manager says to you, you know what, pick the best suite that you want. I'll let you stay in any suite you want. You just take your pick, right? That's a generous offer. Thank you very much, right? Me and my, I'd be I'd be happy with that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in, in the case of Abraham, his kids are going to own this whole place. So when Abimelech makes that offer, hey, stay wherever you want, his kids are going to own that place. So it was a generous offer on Abimelech's part. But in Abraham's hearing, I wonder if he's saying, I'm still remembering the day when my God told me that my kids are going to own this whole place. All right, so that's kind of how it ends right here. Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days, even though it's going to be the land of the Israelites later. Three applications from this then. Three applications, just real quick, to apply to your life. Number one, uh, looking at verse 23, what would be the application there? Well, I would challenge you to read through that as if God would be making that challenge to you. Abimelech makes a challenge to Abraham. Read through it as if God is making a similar challenge to you. And here's what I'd here's what i suggest, as you would read through that, that God maybe would say to you, don't deal falsely with me, all right? And according to the kindness that I show you, according to the hesed that I show you, I expect you to show that to others, all right? So take that as kind of a little challenge, a little application. And again, a little bit out of context, but I'm using it uh, just as an application point, all right? That as God would show us kindness, so we should be showing kindness to others. And isn't that consistent what we would read with um, the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 6, forgive our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us? I mean it really it's the same, it's the same idea. And then uh, the second application, second application would be verses twenty-four through thirty. Strive to work through your issues with others. All right? Abraham could have said, you know what? I own this place. (laughs) Who do you think you are coming to me, offering me a place to stay? Who do you think you are, you know, and you guys taking my land and taking taking the well water and whatnot? My dad, he's got unlimited resources, and one day I'm going to own you and this whole place. No. (laughs) Don't get that kind of attitude. Try to resolve your conflicts with others. Resolve your issues with others. You got something? Bring it up. All right? What do you get rebuked for? Not bringing it up. All right? Bring it up. Try to work through it. And then final third application here, verses 33 and 34. Just as Abraham planted that tamarisk tree, but he recognized he was still a sojourner. Just as he planted that tree, recognizing, you know what, I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to put down roots here for a while. Recognize that ultimately you're not there permanently. All right? You're just a visitor in the land. So are we. Recognize that while we're here in this life, on this earth, recognize that you need to put down roots. You need to plant your own tree. All right? You need to plant your trees in the sense of take ownership of the time that you're here. All right? Live it to the fullest. And I'm not saying indulge yourself. I'm saying live it for God. All right? Live your life to the fullest for God's purposes, for God's glory. But live it. All right? Don't just huddle and say, oh, I can't wait till I die. You know, I'm done with this life. I I have already got my ticket for the train. So as far as I'm concerned, I could go any moment and I'd be happy. Uh, Granted, I would too. But while you're here, make something of the life that he's given you. Every single breath, live it for God. All right, let's go ahead and close them. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for meeting us here again. We ask that you would go with us now into our respective places of employment and you would help us to do a mighty work for you, Lord. Help us to have a work ethic that shows uh, that we have a relationship with you that maybe others would come to us and say, wow, you know, something's different about you. What is it? And we would be able to tell them or we'd have a ready answer and say, you know what, I'm living for God here on this life. I'm I'm not just waiting for the chance to die. I'm waiting for the chance to live. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to make the most of every moment, the most of every breath that you give us. Thank you, God, for your love, your steadfast love that you show to us, and help us, Lord, to extend that steadfast love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.